standards are everywhere, from the floor beneath your feet to the aircraft above your head. This is Standards Impact, presented by ASTM International. Welcome to Standards Impact, the official podcast of ASTM International. I'm your host, Dave Walsh, Editor-in-Chief of ASTM's flagship publication, Standardization News. Today, we're joined by Ivan Diaz-Loya. Ivan is the Vice President of Technical Services at Ozinga, and he's with us now to discuss standards to reduce carbon and the progress being made to create cleaner concrete. Ivan, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, Dave. Well, I guess the first thing we should do is probably introduce you to our audience. And maybe you could tell us a little bit about your background. Maybe you could tell us how you got involved in the field of concrete specifically. And then maybe what brought you to ASTM after that? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I started out getting an internship over in uh, GCC, which is headquarters in Chihuahua, Mexico, which is where I'm from. So that was right after uh, I finished my bachelor's degree in materials engineering. So I got an internship there with the R&D lab. And, you know, did a lot of work with standards, doing some uh, some R&D and different uh, types of alternative cements that we're working on and new projects and things like that. And then later on, I went out to uh, work on my PhD over at Louisiana Tech. The work there was on alternative cements. We try to adapt standards that were made for Portland cement industry and concrete into this new materials, you know, but kind of became clear to me that there was actually a need for developing new standards for these new emerging materials that were coming up. So later on, I applied for a scholarship over at C9, which has a uh, the Catherine and Brian Mather Scholarship. I ended up getting that, that scholarship. I was doing some work on geopolymer concrete, fly ash-based geopolymer concrete, just kind of highlighting the need for new standards for, for new materials. So that's kind of how I got into it. Now, you know, as you mentioned, I'm, I'm with Ozinga, I'm a Vice President of Technical Services, and I'm responsible for QC for, you know, vetting new technologies and some R&D as well. Before we get into the topic of standards development and some other questions that I was going to pose to you, I thought maybe we should start with a very basic one for not just our audience, but the wider audience that this podcast reaches. Why should people care about reducing carbon in the manufacture of concrete? People should care about reducing CO2 emissions in, in general. Actually, concrete has a, a fairly low embodied CO2 compared to other materials on a per ton basis. There's just a lot of it produced out there. You might have heard the statistic that concrete is the most consumed material next to water in the world. Well, you know, the numbers on concrete production are pretty, pretty staggering. And so that makes the emissions, you know, kind of be significant at the same time. The main driver for emissions in concrete is, is Portland cement. About 3% CO2 emissions in, in the U.S. are associated with the production of Portland cement. So concrete uses about 17 to 15% cement by weight, depending on the performance requirements for, for concrete. On average, a cubic meter of concrete has 100 to 300 kilograms of CO2 of embodied carbon or CO2 per, per cubic meter of concrete. So there's definitely room for improvement there. And I think there's a responsibility from the industry to work on lowering that number. I was going to follow up with an earlier comment you said that sounded interesting because I've heard before that concrete is the second most consumed material on earth after water. 
Have you heard any numbers for that? Because I've heard that fact before. Do you know how much cement is created in a year or how much concrete is created in a year? Well, I think uh, the number is about 4.1 billion tons, according to the um, Global Cement and Concrete Association. Pretty, pretty big number. Yeah, that's a huge number. That's, that's pretty impressive. So you're a member of Committee C09 on concrete and concrete aggregates. Yep. So what are some of the things you're working on in your committees? And specifically, what standards are you involved with? What's going on there? To tie it up to uh, what I was mentioning before, one of the clearest ways to reduce CO2 in concrete is by using uh, supplementary cementitious materials to replace part of the cement. There's been some big changes in the industry uh, related to the availability of supplementary cementitious materials. If you have been uh, keeping track of the news in terms of uh, energy production, about 50% of the energy in the U.S. used to come from coal-fired power plants, and there's been a dramatic change in, in that regard. Over the last 12 years, there's been a lot of closures of coal-fired power plants. Now we're looking at probably more around just over 30% of power being produced by coal-fired power plants. Fly ash, you know, the most widely used supplementary cementitious material, or SEM, in, in concrete, has been affected by that. You know, less coal-fired power production, that means less fly ash. There's been a lot of work in C9, as you mentioned, I'm a part of that, and specifically on C924, which is a subcommittee on supplementary cementitious materials, to try to increase the pool of SEMs that, that, uh, that we can use in concrete. And that's changes to existing standards, developing new standards. Recently, there was a lot of changes that took place in, the, in ASTM C618, which is a standard specification for fly ash and natural postulates for using concrete, to aim at exactly doing that to try to expand the pool of uh, supplementary cementitious materials that we use in concrete. Well, you just touched on one of the new technologies, one of the sustainable new technologies in your answer just now that... You mentioned fly ash, but some of the other technologies I've heard of are nanotechnology, blended cement. I imagine that these technologies, it takes a lot to keep up with them in the standards world. Technology can get a little ahead of the standards. So how are you keeping up and how are you going to address that? There's definitely uh, many new technologies and emerging materials trying to address lowering uh, embodied CO2 in, in concrete. For example, one of these new technologies or new emerging materials comes to mind is, uh, is ground glass. And I'm talking about post-consumer glass, basically your beer bottles and all kinds of waste glass being taken to a recycle facility, ground to a fine powder, and basically using that as a supplementary cementitious material. So that was one, one good example of subcommittee C924 developing a standard to allow the use of these materials in concrete. You kind of keep up with them by just staying involved, and, you know, it's impossible to be involved with everything. But, you know, you, you can pick your battles in terms of what, uh, what you think is interesting, what can, you think uh, that can be impactful for the industry. Uh, there's also a new committee on C1, which is all—I'm also part of C1, which is a committee on, on cement. There's a subcommittee, as I mentioned, C113 on special cements, and there's a lot of focus on developing new standards, specifications, and test methods for this new emerging materials. You know, a lot of uh, a lot of these materials, there's a lot of good materials out there. The hurdle or the obstacle, one of the main obstacles they face is is the lack of standards that can uh, 
give confidence to the buyer or purchaser and give confidence to the producer that they're producing, you know, good quality material and basically facilitates the, the commerce between the two. So those are examples of activities that are going on. And I, I keep up with them by just maintaining my ASTM membership. I try to attend meetings regularly. I think I've just missed a, a meeting or two in the last 10 years, probably. Like I mentioned, you know, you can't be involved with everything, but uh, you got to pick what you can contribute most in within your subcommittees. And, you know, just really trying to dive in into the things that you can be involved with. We've discussed several different cementitious materials now, uh, several different types. Fly ash, you mentioned ground glass, you know, in a powder form. What do you think is the future for sustainable concrete? What do you think the best path is forward? I mean, is it a combination of those materials or is there one that you think is the future? Certainly many options. Portland Cement Association released a, uh, a roadmap for uh, carbon neutrality. And that roadmap, it's a five-prong approach, is uh, related to uh, reducing clinker mounted cement, the cement itself, concrete construction and, and carbonation. And so without going into depth to, to every one of them, but uh, I think the ones that are more promising are definitely an increased use of supplementary cementitious materials. They're great for the concrete industry because not only they reduce the embodied CO2 in concrete, uh, you have materials like fly ash, also you have a, a wide availability of slag cement, which is a byproduct of the uh, steel making industry. Those are great ways to directly reduce the amount of CO2 in, in concrete. The work for doing that is already being laid out. As I mentioned, there's a committee of special cements that is working on trying to facilitate the commerce of, of this type of materials. We're working on revising new standards. As, as I mentioned, ASTM 618 did a big revision in allowing certain materials that weren't allowed before, such as uh, ground bottom ash. Uh, that's the bottom ash that comes from the combustion of coal as well. I think the, the groundwork is, is, is being laid out right now. It's a long process, but I think ASTM right now is, is working towards revising their standards, developing new standards, and making sure that those are reflective of what's going on out there in the marketplace, We're making sure that we have sound technical background behind those standards. As a layperson, I think one of the most interesting um, aspects of concrete that we've been discussing is the nanotechnology. And I always, you know, I've read about nanosilica and how this makes concrete denser and harder and more durable. Is that a realistic way to go in the future or is it cost prohibitive or is it kind of a ways off? It, seems, it just sounds very interesting to me. Yeah, that's right, Dave. There's definitely a lot of interest in nanotechnology. Uh, C924 uh, right now is currently working on developing a new standard specification for the use of colloidal silica in concrete. So colloidal silica is basically another word for nanosilica. It's a very small nano size uh, silica, amorphous silica particles that come into suspension and are basically kind of doses in that mixture in, in concrete. There's a lot of research studies that they say they can provide a benefit in concrete similar to other supplementary cementitious materials. How promising that is or how much of uh, the gap that we have can fill in, I think that uh, that remains to be seen. But uh, I think there's uh, there's definitely a need for a standard for colloidal silica and other nanotechnologies that, you know, may facilitate the commerce of, of these uh, type of new technologies. 
you work for Ozinga, which is a pretty big cement company. Maybe you could tell us about what you do in your daily work. How do you help reduce carbon emissions day to day? How does how do standards uh, play into that? Yeah, so I uh, I work for uh, Ozinga, as you mentioned. Uh, Ozinga is a family-owned company, fourth generation, privately owned company that has a strong sense of responsibility uh, to lower body CO2 in, in concrete. With that, we are working constantly and trying to develop uh, new technologies, new materials that can help us achieve that goal. We always have to keep in mind what are the guardrails that we have in terms of the standard specifications where we can fit in to be able to introduce these new materials. On a daily basis, I, I just make sure that we're sourcing uh, sustainable and high-quality cementitious materials. I enjoy developing partnerships with uh, universities that can lead to the production of uh, more sustainable concrete. And just working with people with new ideas and technologies, talking with, uh, with startups, uh, vetting new technologies. That's something that I, I enjoy and I do on a daily basis. What is something about your work or maybe the cement industry in general that might surprise listeners? What's something that we would not have guessed? Well, I think um, one of the things that people would be surprised about is, is, um, is how much work gets put into standards how often revisions happens in standard specifications and test methods and, and guides. There's a lot of background work that goes into it and try to make changes to standards that reflect the latest information and latest research that we have and make sure that our standards are up to date with that, that they're also up to date in terms of uh, changes in the industry. As I mentioned, the change uh, you know, uh, in the, the fly-ash industry. So there's a lot of change that goes into it, and I think a, a lot of people may see standards as uh, being much more unflexible than they are. How much cleaner and how much more sustainable do you think the cement industry can become? Do you think there's a lot of room for reducing carbon? Do you think you're almost at the limit? Uh, how much more do you think can be done? There's definitely room. I think there's uh, some aspects that have more room than others. I think that uh, we should be working on all aspects to be able to reduce I think that, for example, uh, optimizing processes and so forth, instrument managed production also go a long way, but you can only optimize so much, although you can constantly be optimizing. But I think there's some aspects that, you know, have more potential to be impactful than others. You know, as I mentioned, I think the use of supplementary cementitious materials is a big one. I think that uh, alternative cements definitely have a lot of potential in helping us lower or making bigger strides in lowering the body CO2 in concrete. And I think uh, on my part, I'm happy to say that uh try to do my part. The company I work for tries to do its part. And that's something that, that I really enjoy. Well, before we uh, wrap up today, I do have to ask you, I've been asking other podcast speakers the same question. And that is, do you have a favorite standard? Or is there one that stands out to you? Maybe you think it's a it's cool or it's useful for whatever reason. What is your favorite standard? Yeah, I think that's a, that's an easy one. I really do have a soft spot for ASTM C618, which is a standard specification for fly ash and natural pozzles for using concrete. That's a specification that I've been working on pretty hard over the last five years and making those changes to make sure that they're reflective of the changes that are happening in the industry. And I'm proud to say that I was, I was a contributor to that change and making sure that 
that our standards are up to date and uh, reflective of what's happening in the industry and have the right guardrails to allow the safe use of new materials. Separately, I was going to say, does that standard contribute to sustainability or is it just very useful for the industry? Definitely contributes to sustainability because it allows us to um, use a wider pool of uh, supplementary cementitious materials. As I mentioned before, with these changes in availability of supplementary cementitious materials for using concrete, the availability of fly ash went from 70 million tons a year back in 2010, 2012 to Less than 30, so the use of fly ash, for example, in concrete has remained about constant, you know, just over 10 million tons. But demand for concrete has continued to increase. So fly ash, for example, hasn't been able to keep up with that growth in demand. We need to increase the pool of SEMs that we use in concrete because SEMs are, are definitely one of the best ways to reduce low, you know, embodied CO2 in concrete. And not only that, right, but supplementary cementitious materials also help us make concrete more durable. It's a, they have a functional benefit in concrete and make concrete better. So it's not just a sustainability part, but actually make concrete last longer. So I think that's definitely key. What's the final word for our audience? What would you like to leave them with? Final sort of answer here. I would invite everybody to get involved with ASTM. It's a great organization to be a part of. Me as a professional, I've learned a lot of things in, uh, in ASTM, so particularly to the younger folks. I would definitely encourage them to get involved in ASTM. A lot of things that you can take away in your professional life, a lot of uh, mentors that have uh, come across along the way. So it's just a great organization to be a part of. Ivan, thanks for being with us today. We really appreciate your time. Thanks for having me, Dave. And now it's time for our regular Standard Spotlight segment with SN's content editor, J.P. Urban. Many people are fascinated by caves. They enchant the imagination and leave us in awe of our natural world, moving us with their beauty, wonder, and mystery. Despite the popularity of cave exploration and tourism, many may not be familiar with the word karst, a term for special types of landscape including caves, underground streams, and sinkholes. Karst is formed by the dissolution of soluble rocks such as limestone. It covers about 20% of the world's land surface, spread across Mexico, Slovenia, Ireland, and other important sites. In the U.S., karst topography is part of the Springs of Florida, the Carlsbad Caverns in New Mexico, and the Mammoth Cave in Kentucky. Globally, it is especially prominent in the huge Nullarbor Plain of Australia and the South China Karst, which was designated a World Heritage Site. In addition to its beauty, karst is important to humans for several reasons. Karst is the sole or primary water supply for 700 million people across the globe, including residents of Rome, Vienna, and San Antonio. It also creates a unique ecosystem that hosts special organisms, including some found nowhere else but in caves. Karst is also important for agriculture, industry, medicine, paleoclimactic research, and archaeology. This phenomenon additionally warrants attention because of safety concerns. Karst is susceptible to damage or contamination, and karst sinkholes are particularly significant since they threaten human lives and can risk damage to roads, homes, fields, and workplaces. ASTM has taken an interest in karst for several years. 
But in 2019, ASTM's Soil and Rock Committee, D18, saw the importance of establishing a new subcommittee dedicated to the topic. Since their first meeting in 2020, the subcommittee has been at work developing several standards. One of its most elementary tasks is formalizing terminology and identifying methods to characterize CARS, tasks that are crucial for allowing us to understand and discuss the topic. The committee is also considering preliminary environmental impact assessments and methods for mapping groundwater movement. In the future, they have an interest in developing methods of monitoring sinkholes and responding to the biological and cultural value of caves. Ultimately, Kars is a crucial part of our society and our natural world, warranting greater understanding of its importance and preservation of its beauty and its functions. If you want to learn more about any of the standards discussed in this episode, visit ASTM.org for all the latest. And if you enjoyed the show today, remember to like and subscribe so you never miss another episode. I'm Dave Walsh, and this has been Standards Impact, presented by ASTM International. 